1: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: This is the Cork Today replay
2: on C103. Let's stay with the weather forecast for a moment because we have had a winter that has been quite mild overall, but the mercury is certainly starting to drop and that status yellow weather warning that we were issued, that was issued yesterday from Met Aaron and we were telling you about yesterday. It's still in place. It was, I think it went into place at 9 o'clock last night but it's there until 11 o'clock this morning. So about another hour left of that status yellow weather warning and today looking to be certainly one of the coldest days of the week and the early forecasts for the rest of the week are saying we're going to have more of this frost and uh, icy patches but warmer days are on the way. Tomorrow's going to be another bitterly cold today. But then Thursday and uh, Friday, it'll be a little bit warmer than it's, it's, it's been certainly for the early half of the week. But then Met and they're saying the indications are it's to turn colder uh, again. Uh, we've been getting some reports in of snow, particularly on higher ground this morning. Now I know parts of Britain and mainland Europe, they're seeing very heavy falls of uh, snow and, and certainly parts of Europe have had very heavy small falls of snow over the last uh, few weeks. No indication at this stage that we're to get anything like that and please God we won't because people are in fear that we would have a repeat of what happened with the beast from the the East last March and we certainly don't want to go through that again John Paul is taking your calls this morning 1850 333 103 anything you would like to talk to us about we'd love to hear from you you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 on the programme this morning we're going to hear from Minister for uh, Older People, Minister for Mental Health, uh, Jim Daly joins us he's come up with a suggestion to introduce what he's calling photo Seats at scenic spots and this is to keep selfie takers safe. We had that really sad story that came out at the start of the year just shortly after the new year whereby a young student from India was trying to take a a selfie on the cliffs of Moher and he fell to his death. I mean it was one of the just one of those really, really horrific stories. So do we need to do something to protect tourists that come to this country when the you know and it's when you're on holidays, when you are a tourist, you want to get the best photograph. Selfies have very much become the order of the day and people want to get them up on their Instagram as quickly as possible to show people where they are and are they putting their lives at risk? If so, do we need to do something to protect them? And is this a way around it where you would have designated seats with signs saying, you know, if you want to get the perfect picture of the Cliffs of Moher or if you're out on the Bear Peninsula or if you're up in Donegal or uh, you're in Galway, wherever you are, And you want to get a nice photograph, particularly by the coast, should we be doing something to install these seats to make it safer for everyone. So we're going to talk with Jim uh, about that suggestion. And also a, a story from Jim Daly that he we mentioned before Christmas and I'm sure spoke with Jim uh, uh, on this before Christmas is his suggestion to have Uber style taxis working in rural uh, Ireland. The idea would be it would help to combat social isolation and ordinary people would use their cars and act as taxis or hackneys in and around their own villages, in and around their own uh, towns, but it wouldn't be t- there wouldn't be official taxis. They no, there would be rules and regulations, and obviously their cars would have to be up to up to scratch. And I am assuming they would have to be guarded, vetted, and and all of that. But it would be a way for someone locally to make a little bit of money for themselves a little bit of extra money but it certainly would help people who live in rural areas who don't either have access to a car themselves or they might like to go out for a few drinks and are just terrified to go out and and have a few drinks because they won't drink and drive because fear of getting caught and rightly so we don't want anybody out drinking and driving we're trying to keep our roads as safe as possible so this kind of a country style Uber style taxi would that be uh, the answer when we don't have Uber in this country at the moment? Uber is hugely successful in other countries and as where ordinary people use their cars as a form of taxi or hackney. Could we do something like that for rural areas? So we'll talk with Jim about that because that particular Proposal is making the papers. I see it on uh, a couple of the papers, including I think it's on the front page of the Daily Mail uh, today. The initiative that we had hoped to speak about yesterday on the programme, I promise we'll get to it today. This is an initiative to help with the effects on children living with parental alcohol abuse. And in particular, talking about adult children These are, there could be people you work with, people you live with, people you know really well and they have grown up in a household where either a mother or a father are sadly in some cases both had alcohol addiction and for some of those now adult uh, children they carry with them the effects of what their life was like as a child living with somebody who abused uh, alcohol and they carry the effects of that into adult life for some they never ever talk about it I mean I, I, I'm assuming for some there's probably an element of shame uh, attached uh, to it and then also when I mentioned it yesterday we straight away were contacted by a mother who has a child who's Living in a house where there was addiction and thankfully the parent is in recovery but this mother already starting to see the effects on her young child and desperate to get help for the child and then somebody's contacted us about Al-Anon saying if you're talking about it don't forget to promote the great work of Al-Anon so we will give out the number for Al-Anon as well which is for anyone who is living with somebody who is in addiction at the moment with alcohol and needs help. So we'll talk about that on the programme and actually we'll stay on the topic of addiction when Joe Heffernan joins us in the final hour of the uh, programme because Joe is going to look at addiction, all types of addiction today on his slot. The local link in uh, Cork are going to join us because Minister Shane Ross has come out and has decided to extend the night link service for another three hours. Uh, months. Now some people are calling these the Drink Link buses. There was three, uh, three of them have been operating in the Cork area so I am particularly interested to see how the three in Cork, how they have been getting on. They've been operating in the evening town. Most of the local link services operate very successfully all over the country but they're just daytime services. But when this got introduced for the last six months of last year, again it was to try to combat uh, rural isolation. There was I don't know what the total number was. There 50, I am question, but I think there was 50 local link services were selected all over the country to operate this evening service. I think it was just at the weekends. Um, so now they're saying they've come to the end of what was the pilot of it for six months, but they've decided to extend it for another three months. They still, I think they need, they needed to bed in another while just to see is it worth pursuing is it worth keeping in place and if it is worth keeping in place in the areas that have already operated will they now move it out to other areas as well so we're going to hook up with the local link in Cork to see how the services have gotten on uh, here and then we'll be paying a visit to Spike Island uh, today on the programme because Spike Island Island are, are hoping and planning to host an exhibition and the prisoners that were held on Spike Island during the War of Independence. And that's all very relevant this year because yesterday, huge commemorations and there's great pictures in all the papers of this where they, they commemorated the first day of doll air and the 100th anniversary of the first doll sat yesterday and also historians will say it is seen as the first day of the War of Independence because where the, the ambush happened in Tipperary um, yesterday 100 years ago and that was seen as the start of the War of Independence which then ran from 1919 to 1921 and during that time prisoners were incarcerated um, and interned some I, I believe without a trial on Spike Island so this, the plan mm-hmm. is is To have an exhibition to tell their stories. And also, I think it'll be a great way because they're going to have a genealogy room. And I think we're all fascinated with genealogy. And if anybody knows of a family member that they believe was incarcerated on Spike Island, it'd be a great opportunity to go down, go into the genealogy room and, and work out was, was one of your family members incarcerated there. And I'm just uh, fascinated. I'm fascinated by history anyway and, and what lives were like for people. So I'll be interested to hear what it was like for those prisoners during the War of Independence on Spike Island so we'll chat about that on the programme today so a lot to get through John Paul taking your calls at 1850 and I would be interested to hear uh, your feelings on the ambulance personnel who are on strike uh, today. Can I say the coldest day of the year to be out on a picket line you would feel for anyone that's out on a picket line today and there are 500 ambulance personnel striking today. This is the dispute with the HSE over the union recognition. The 500 ambulance personnel who are out on strike are all part of the Psychiatric Nurses Association and they are picketing ambulance bases here in Cork also in Dublin and there's uh, other locations and they will be out on the picket line until five o'clock uh, today. The National Ambulance Service though are saying they do have contingency plans in uh, place which includes the Defence Force paramedics there on standby including the Army Medics and Ambulances based here in uh, Collins Barracks in Cork. They're there in case they're needed uh, during the strike um, action. Even though managers of the HSE are also carrying out frontline duties and they've confirmed the personnel from other unions will be working as normal now. uh, We'll check and see. I mean, there was talks earlier I heard, would other members of other unions pass the picket? I mean, sometimes other union members, while it might be their union out on strike, some people feel quite strongly about passing a picket. I mean, I know certainly if there's ever a shop out on strike I have a huge huge thing I don't think I have ever passed a picket uh, in in my life I'm trying to think I don't think I ever did certainly I would not go into a shop if there was a picket outside for regards of what the reason was I just have this thing about passing a picket I think I grew up with hearing that at home from my mother saying you never pass a picket Um, and you know when you grow up with something that you hear as a child and it almost gets instilled into your psyche so you always believe it is wrong to pass a picket like the superstition of walking under a ladder, so I have that thing about passing a picket. So I don't know is the, uh, what's happening with the HSC. We'll try and get an update from the newsroom. Have the other unions past the picket that's in place here in Cork and at other depots uh, around the uh, country 185333103 even if, if you your views on that ambulance personnel the 500 members who are out on strike today
0: this is the cork today replay on
2: c103 We were talking about the ambulance uh, out on strike today the 500 ambulance uh, personnel which includes ambulance personnel here in uh, Cork and of course yesterday we had mentioned that four National Ambulance Service Representatives Association members in Cork had been suspended after expressing health and safety concerns about being asked to drive a young patient from Cork to Dublin Two paramedics were suspended on Saturday and four others were verbally warned last week after they questioned a request i to drive what was described as a stable young patient from Cork University Hospital to Crumlin Hospital. But they were asked to do it towards the end of their third night shift in a row. They had two hours left on their third night shift in a row. And they basically got back on when, you know, when the call came through, they got back on and said, look, could you get another ambulance crew to do it? We've only two hours left, you know, end of a third night. And obviously expressed, they obviously said they were exhausted and didn't feel that comfortable about driving the young patient to uh, Dublin. Anyway, they were uh, suspended. Now, an ambulance crew from a crew eventually completed the transfer of the patient, leaving Cork, at half eight in the morning uh, last Monday, but they didn't get back to base until three o'clock on Monday afternoon because obviously the drive to Dublin, transferring the patient to Crumlin Hospital, and then back into the ambulance, back down to Cork. So it was three o'clock in the afternoon when they came back, um, and the actual McCroom ambulance crew that did it, they were coming on the end of it, the end of a shift as well because they ended up working a twenty-hour. Shift. It seems absolutely bizarre that we are expecting our ambulance personnel to drive and to do shifts like that. Um, It's tough enough when you have the, you know, we hear about the hospital doctors working 24 hour shifts and you often wonder, God, wouldn't you hate to be a doctor coming to your bed and they are coming to the end of a 24 hour shift but asking somebody to drive a vehicle out on a busy road just doesn't make any sense at all to me and we'd mentioned that yesterday and a couple of people were saying from a you know purely from a health and safety point of view uh, and what happened if they're one of the, the ambulance drivers fell asleep at the wheel? You know, who's responsible uh, then? Uh, some texts in on that. Somebody says, put taco card clocks into ambulances. It would be the same as they have in trucks. Those two boys, well, we don't, we don't know if they were males or females. Anyway, those two paramedics were right when they refused to take that trip to uh, Dublin. Where is the health and safety in all of this, says a uh, texter. And then someone else says, bear in mind that the McCroom crew were also on their third of four nights and were expected to work again on Monday night according to this texter having taken an enforced 11 hour rest from which the HSE will deduct wages for not being available to report on duty at 7pm having returned from Dublin at 3pm this sounds like somebody who really has the inside knowledge on this not an isolated case by the way says this texter crews are constantly being sent to Dublin at the end of of shifts which I wasn't aware of Uh, that really is very very dangerous Dangerous indeed, And that's a reason that I could see somebody being out on strike for you. Wonder why the ambulance crews haven't come out before and uh, speak up more about this because it really is a worry. OK, some more of your texts coming in that I want to give a quick mention to. Finbar sent this in to me yesterday and again, busy programme yesterday. I didn't get around to it. Glad to mention it though today. Good morning, Patricia. I've received a lot of calls from people in West Cork yesterday morning who are getting hoaxed calls. The caller is telling them that there's a problem with their computers and asking them to call back a particular number. Now it's a Dublin number 01-849-4440 Some of the people contacted don't even own a computer. Can you make people aware of this and warn them? This is a hoax. Tell them hang up the phone uh, immediately. Now we tried to ring that number because it's a Dublin number and actually John Paul was going to try and let on that he'd got a call to ring him back and tried to let on. He was them fix the computers to see if you could get to the bottom of the scam but any time we rang the number it is ringing and then it just rings out so I don't know whether they only have the number manned at a certain hour of the day or not but just be aware of the, the it's a new spin on the computer scammers normally the computer scammers ring you and they keep you once they have you on the phone line they try to get you to turn on your computer they try to get the information that they need your credit card details saying they're trying to fix your computers but asking you to call back a number that's certainly a new spin on that particular scam. Be very, very careful of any of those unsolicited calls, please. And then we were discussing breathalysers yesterday. Oh, yeah, this was the... When we were discussing breathalysers yesterday, somebody said that they took uh, offence to the fact that if you're stopped by a member of Gardaí to your corner and you're asked to blow into the breathalyser, the little plastic straw that you blow into that the guarder will hand you that and ask you to dispose of it and somebody says that they took on to the fact of having to dispose of it and having never been stopped in Lights by a member from Garda Shea Kona I wasn't aware that they do that somebody said I've been tested four times in the last month <laughs> um, and only once have I been given the plastic straw back so it must depend it must vary from one there to another there, And then on the home breathalyser, some kit says, Patricia, what is a good home alcohol testing kit? Would you take it out for us, please? And what would you recommend? The only one I can recommend is the one that I've used at home that I've purchased, bought one. We've had one in our home for a number of years and I've since bought it for other people. And it's, it's made by a company called AlcoSense. And any research I did on it, it seems to be one of the more popular brands I've seen nothing but good reviews and this is just me speaking personally there could be other better ones or as good ones out there but that's the one that I personally know it's called Alco Sense. that's the company that make them and they do a variety of different ones I mean for example the one I bought it comes in at around 50 euro you can get breathalysers up to €200. I did a quick search online yesterday. You can get portable ones for under uh, €10. You can get the ones that you throw out, the disposable ones, you know, like the ones that you have to have if you're travelling in France. They're quite cheap as well. But certainly the one I bought was about €50 and the company that made it is called AlcoSense. And Anne was on to us. Here's somebody who's getting great preparatory work for next Christmas. Anne says, Patricia, could you please ask your listeners if they know of anywhere in Cork County that sell outdoor crib figures I tried to get them for last Christmas but I wasn't able to purchase any Any, I'm hoping to get them for this year for next Christmas so trying to get working on it early so does anybody know where you can buy outdoor crib figures and I'm assuming for an outdoor crib they're reasonably big don't know whether she wants life size crib or you know certainly not the small ones you'd have in a crib indoors if it's going to be outdoor crib figures. So does anybody know who sells outdoor crib figures? Where are they on sale? Have you purchased them? Maybe you're involved in a parish council, you bought them for your own parish maybe you have a crib in your garden I mean that's, I've certainly been driving around and seeing lovely crib displays in people's uh, gardens that have lifestyle crib figures and obviously for outdoor they have to be able to with all kinds of the, the weather, the elements of the weather. So they would need to be special ones for outdoor use. If anybody can advise us where, what direction we can point Anne in, she would like ideally to buy them somewhere in Cork City or County. Can you let us know? 1850 333 Text or WhatsApp 0862 103, 103.
3: Cork today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103.
0: See Laura Gelga, RC 103.
4: But a Neil Armstrong on K. Dena Ahul Erangilak. Ruguk a air on Kugu de Lunasa, Nede Truca, Ohio. Kuger a Siklounige. V. vidul Morage, Son Ettelt, or V. in a Vukul Og. Ag, agus Husseg Shayk Ettelt, nora a V. Shave Linde Dish. Kugg Shay La Nasa Corp Sparsera, agus Rounyuk a in Sundara Grupa, in ede Chaskado. Dimig Apollo 11, er Hrus Quig Angelak, er on an Sheila Deg Duel, Nadeg Shaskade. V Buzz Aldrin, August Michael, Michal Oak Clan, in the Hemtus Spaslong. Hoke Sheen, Nis Moon, Shea Oak Clig, and Trus Quig a Ying. Nor Hurling and Spaslong er Angelak, but A. Hey, Neil Armstrong and K. Dinner a Hule er Angelak. Leshne Fuckel um that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. La Blura Grilga is Jack Dorosha, O Gwilskal Homosh Dovish.
0: CKD
2: Kirkig. Earlier this month, a young student from India fell to his death while attempting to take a selfie at the cliffs of Mohar. His death has prompted Minister for Mental Health and Older People, Jim Daly, to suggest installing phone seats. Around the coast our popular tourist destinations Minister Jim Daly joins me with more on this suggestion. Good morning to you Jim Good morning Uh, And and you're welcome to the programme. Uh, Now while this death was absolutely tragic are you aware of other accidents or near misses by people attempting to take that perfect
4: selfie?
5: I think all of us are probably aware of, um, anecdotally, the near misses, you know, the the situation where somebody is is struggling to take a photograph on a cliff or on a, you know, and we've all been in that situation ourselves where you're kind of just watching your footing and you're concentrating more on trying to get the picture right. And uh, it can happen that way. But uh, can I just say it to clarify, this proposal predated that unfortunate tragedy, uh, which is a proposal that I made last, I think, um, October, I'd say I proposed it to fall to Ireland. Um, because I, I think that there's a, just a huge market there for it. I think selfies are the nature of the day. You know, everybody wants to take to a selfie. Everybody wants to have their photograph. And we have some absolutely stunning backdrops. So and when you are privileged like, uh, like I am to live in a, an area like West Cork, with some of the most stunning beauty and backdrops, it's incumbent upon me as a TD for the area to make sure that uh, that we're doing everything we can to promote the region, and I think that's a great way of promoting West Cork, is by people taking photographs with the mizzen in the background or the, any of the stunning shots we have, whether it's down in, in Chetani or Onaheansh, or whether it's in Glandor or Dunmore, it doesn't matter where it is, you have these gorgeous, gorgeous shots along the coast, and I think it would be a fantastic way of, of Americans and Australians and visitors to the area. There's a safety aspect, obviously to it but there's also an aspect of promoting the beauty there by facilitating people to get that perfect shot with the background um, that they so desire and I think a selfie seat is the way to go forward for that.
2: Have you seen them in any other countries?
5: I haven't, no, I haven't um, but I can't claim the the wisdom of it it was a constituent suggested it to me sometime um, said to me, you know, what would be a really good idea was, uh, you know, people are struggling to get their photographs all the time or looking for somebody to, to take a photograph of them, wouldn't it be a great idea along the Wild Atlantic Way if there was these selfie seats where people could actually just um, pause, place the camera on it and with the ideal backdrop behind them and get their shot taken and what a great way to promote West Cork and I said, oh that's a great idea, so I took pin to pin and I wrote to Fault Ireland and to my colleague Brendan Griffin the minister responsible for it so Brendan was extremely enthusiastic about it uh, and has had a number of conversations with Fault Ireland and I, I understand they are going to uh, progress it that they're obviously looking at the, the right way to do it and to make sure that they're the right locations are got Yeah because
2: my one concern is we don't want gaudy seats at our scenic spots I mean we'd have to make sure that they're in keeping with whatever beautiful tourist spot
6: it is
5: yeah can I just clarify as well the seats are actually for the phone not for Okay the so, okay so, <laughs> it, it, so it's it's a bit different to a selfie stand it's a selfie seat but it's actually to sit your phone into okay so that you can get the shot in of yourself um you know in the background so of course we wouldn't like you know gaudy things or uh, seats big ugly seats to be impinging on the view or anything like that these are kind of like selfie sticks you know a permanent selfie stick or a selfie seat where you know there's a stand there or a seat there for the phone to be put into where you can actually get the stunning picture and you don't have to have any danger element because that's where accidents happen when people are holding the phone and concentrating on the phone and getting that right and not watching their footing whereas if you have somewhere with the ideal background placed uh, strategically you can do that, this very tastefully and obviously you get nice you know whether it's copper or whatever chrome or whatever kind of a a handle to put on these things you can do it very tastefully and, and discreetly not to spoil the, the unique view
2: I know are you getting a positive reaction you are?
5: I'm getting a very positive reaction. Fault Ireland are very enthusiastic on it. Uh, Brendan Griffin is very, very enthusiastic and uh, assures me that this will see the light of the air, right, that they're progressing. They obviously have to tease out a number of of ideas, such as locations and what kind of um, you know materials and all of that to use, but I think all of that is in hand and will be done, and I look forward to seeing this progressing, and I do think it will be a great way of continuing to promote the wonderful product we have uh, in Ireland to sell across to our, our not just European but our world white colleagues
2: Okay and you're making the papers today I think it's the front page of the Daily Mail and I also saw it inside in the Indo for your Uber style taxis for rural Ireland Uh, they're gaining momentum where were you at with that proposal?
5: Yeah, that's an interesting one because it combines both my brief as, as I'm first and foremost a TD for a rural constituency and secondly Minister for Mental Health and I think uh, on both fronts it takes it brings, you know, my responsibilities come to the fore. This essentially is, and I've told your listeners before on it and thank you for, for that opportunity previously as well. The, the rest of the world will catch you up now with, with your good selves and the Southern Star belatedly. Or some of the national media are very interested in it now. I've called, I think, from an awful lot of your, your colleagues in local stations this morning and looking for me to, to elaborate on this, essentially it is that people can drive their own car and do pickups within a 15 kilometer radius. This would be for areas with a population of less than 5,000. So it won't impinge on existing taxis and taxi services because they're non existent in most of the areas that I represent. I think in every area I represent, actually. Um, maybe with the exception of Conceal would we'll have a few taxis. But that aside, it's basically that um, Joe Soap or Mary Jo can get into her car and say, you know, on a Wednesday evening, do you know what? I'll do five hours. I'll go on call and you pick up from your app. You'll get a call that somebody's in looking for a lift from Glandor to Roscarabri. You decide to do the run. You pick up the fare. And, and there's no big drama about it. Obviously, you have to be guard vetted and you have to have an NCT-worthy car. And you have to be taxed and insured. You know, those kind of basic essentials. At the moment, the legislation uh, doesn't allow that to happen. And I'm trying to get the law changed in Ireland. I wrote to Shane Rossland this back in October, proposed it to him. I met with him to tease it out further. So he had a look at it, so he's, he's asked me to put it all in writing again to him to outline it, that he could pass it on to the National Transport Authority, which I have done. So he has sent it on to the National Transport Authority. The government has then basically asked them to assess it. So I'm meeting with the CEO of the National Transport Authority, a lady called Anne Graham. I'm meeting with her on the 6th of February in my offices in Dublin to see how we can progress this proposal. But I'd be very confident. I mean, it's, it's one that isn't resource-intensive. There is no reason for the government not to go ahead with this. Uh, this is rural Ireland... Cr- i out for this. I believe there's an enormous appetite out there to have a kind of a basically connect people. It's not just about drink driving. It's about people who want to go to the shop or to the cinema or go anywhere. It can be for older people who don't like driving at night, might like to go out to Bingo or whatever. There isn't taxis available. There isn't DART. There isn't a bus service. So this is just, a, first of all, what I'm looking for. And I have put down a motion at our Fine Gael parliamentary party meeting. On on Wednesday, which is tomorrow evening, where I'll be asking all of my Fine Gael colleagues, uh, both ministers and TDs and senators, to support me politically on this one. And that the government, first of all, and this is the very first step, is to acknowledge that there is a crisis in rural Ireland when it comes to connectivity. People cannot get to where they need to be or where they want to be. They cannot get out and about and socialise because of the drink driving and because of the lack of basic transport infrastructure that exists in cities. And I think it's incumbent upon me to make sure that my colleagues, a lot of my colleagues have come from city-based areas. A lot of the ministers and the Taoiseach are from more city-based areas. And this isn't something that they would be very familiar with, the concept of rural isolation or the lack of availability of, of transport options for people to go about their daily lives to do what they do on a, on a daily basis. And it
2: And it's a win-win all around. It's a win-win for the people who need to To get the Uber-style taxi from a rural area, but also the person operating the taxi or the the I'm I'm slow to call it a taxi because I'm waiting for taxi drivers to to have a go at me. But uh, the driver, yeah, yeah, Yeah. the driver. um, It's a way of earning a, a bit of extra cash.
5: It is a course, I mean, for someone like myself, for yourself, Patricia, if we decided there, or anybody who's listening to us there this morning that decides, you know what, I'll I'll give five hours a week to that, or ten hours a week, or you can do seven nights a week if you so wish, or you can do just one night a week, you can do a Friday night or a Saturday night, or indeed a Tuesday evening, uh, or in the morning time, people might like a lift to work, they might like to go out for a few drinks the night before and celebrate and not drive the following morning, and may just avail of an Uber, which is basically a neighbour who's decided to take him for five or six euro, drop him to work the following day. Um, you know, these are very practical ways forward. But like, while it's a win-win, and and you're right there, Patricia, it is a win-win for those who are doing it. It's much more actually because it, it provides a means of living. But I, I genuinely am concerned about people's mental well-being. Um, and the more isolated people are, the less social interaction they have. And also, I think the most worrying phenomenon that uh, your listeners will have come across, and you'll be acutely aware of this, Patricia, from your show there over the years, is people walking home now at night who are good enough not to drive, but deciding to walk home from the pub and getting killed on the road. Yeah. Like that's a very new phenomenon. Yeah. A very, very yeah. I can one. see
2: a lot of people are saying this is, this is a terrific idea because there's also the added problem if you live in a rural area, it's hard to even, if you can even afford a taxi, it's hard to get a taxi in a rural area because particularly on some of the busy Friday and Saturday nights, taxi companies do not want to go out into the very rural areas they want to stay in the cities or in the, the larger urban towns.
5: Yeah, and like one of the obvious things, of course, people say, what about insurance? How does insurance? I would make the point that the insurance company should be offering a reduction to people who do this. Now, I'm sure that may not happen, but I mean, that's where I would be beginning from, because this has the potential to make our roads so safe. I mean, Mm. it takes drink drivers off the road and it takes those pedestrians who are the the most vulnerable people on our roads, as people walking late at night on roads, in rural roads that are not lit up. And that phenomenon, unfortunately, is starting to become very, very real now as the drink driving takes hold. and, And, you know, people are more and more aware of that. There's more people on foot going home from the pub and that's very dangerous. So I would argue to the insurance industry that the roads will be a safer place. There will be less claims on people's insurance policies and there will be less loss of life and catastrophic injuries as a result of this taking hold. So my my call is very simple and where does it go from here? Is I will, as I say on the 6th of February, the CEO of the NTA, the National Transport Authority, is coming into my office, to to discuss their concerns about it or whatever issues they have but this has been done all over the world so there's no reason why ireland can't have it secondly then i need the government to agree to change legislation the 1963 public service vehicle act still exists which says this is illegal so we have to change legislation that's within our gift to do that and we just have to get political buy-in there is no resource implication for the government there is no cost implication and this has the, the potential to connect each and every one of us in rural Ireland and give us that standard of living and that standard of well-being that our, our city and, and more urban counterparts have
2: Okay, alright we leave it there I can see a lot of people are backing you are, are saying well done and, and the sooner this comes in the better we'll keep a close eye on this one in the meantime Jim thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme Thanks Patricia. Good morning thank you. to you that is the Junior Minister for Mental Health and Older People Jim Daly
3: Court Today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow it's family run so your loved one will feel at home see Breedhaven.
0: C103 Hi, Martina here. Join me every weekday from 4 to 7 for Drive Time, where I'll keep you up to date on all the latest traffic information. We'll spread some positivity with our feel-good story and song of the day. And of course, we'll be serving up a generous portion of Cork's Greatest Hits.
2: C103. Now, last week, Alcohol Action Ireland launched a new initiative to raise awareness of the experience of growing up in Ireland with parental alcohol misuse to discuss the initiative, which is called Silent Voices. I'm joined from Alcohol Action Ireland by uh, Sharon Lambert. Uh, good morning to you, Sharon. Good morning, Sharon. Uh, and, and, and you're welcome. The impact on children of a parent's alcohol misuse, is it something rarely spoken about in Irish society?
7: I suppose that the reason why Alcohol Action Ireland did launch initiative called Silent Voices is that there is, you know, a growing body of research that shows that there are, you know, children living in Ireland who are, you know, impacted, their well-being is impacted and their development is impacted, and that maybe as a society, we don't see harmful drinking in a way in which we should. Um And not that, you know, we're being judgmental of anybody. We are a nation who's always been, you know, comfortable with alcohol. We use it at a lot of our events. When it's very excessive, we now have never had as much research in terms of the impact on children. So it's about letting people know that, you know, uh, this does have an impact that can last a lifetime if you don't do something about it.
2: And what are the negative effects for, for a child growing up with a parent who's an alcoholic?
7: Well, th- there have been a number of studies done in Ireland in the last few years. So, in 2009, Alcohol at Ireland did a, a prevalence study. Uh, 14% of the children in that felt afraid. Uh, 14% had witnessed violence between parents, and 11% had to take responsibility for siblings because a parent couldn't. There was another study in 2010 by the uh, ISPCC, which found that one in ten children were frightened because of the parents drinking. And um, there have been a couple of other studies. Uh, The problem with being frightened when you're a child is that your brain is developing and you're constantly growing new networks every single day. You know, the more positive experiences you have, the more your brain grows. If you're very frightened and very stressed, it can impact on the way in which your brain is growing. And there are lots of studies on adults who, uh, you know, were children of alcoholics, uh, which do show that there is an increased risk for anxiety and depression and relationship issues um, at a very extreme end, if you're drinking to such a level that you are not able to look after your children at all and they're at risk of emotional neglect or physical neglect, um, then obviously that also has a very, very serious consequences for the child's ability to access school and, you know, have friends around and, and do all the, mm, the,
2: the things kids. that normal children do. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and is, there, is there shame attached to it for the child?
7: It's interesting because children are incredibly loyal to their parents. So uh, what they'll know is that their their house is different than other houses and they will keep secrets. Uh, as children, they mightn't be able to really understand that. And it's perhaps usually in adulthood when children look back, you know, they look back and they say, you know, that wasn't right. And, you know, I wonder, is that why I am the way that I am now? Um, so there is, you know, plenty of evidence of that where, you know, Adults of alcoholics will say, you know, that their childhood was difficult and that they did keep secrets and they knew that their, their childhood was different, but they, they didn't really understand why. Um, and it's really important then in, in terms of the children might necessarily feel shame, but they feel different. It depends mm-hmm. on how bad the drinking is. But what's really, really important is that the parents don't feel shame. because If you feel shame and stigma because if you're drinking, it's very, very difficult to get help. And. Um, You know, most people now, and and I'd like to think that we're we're moving certainly towards viewing addiction as a a mental health issue. And that, you know, when you're using substances more than you should, that it's because you're having a tough time and you're finding it really difficult. If we we blame people uh, for being in addiction, they won't be able to access the help that they need because it'll have to be a secret. And so it's really important that, that while talking about the impact on children, we also have to acknowledge that the parent themselves is having a really difficult time and about supporting the whole family system.
2: And for children today living uh, with, with alcohol um, misuse, do teachers and caregivers need to recognise if, if, if a child is struggling and be aware of it?
7: Absolutely. So uh, the last 10 years in particular, we've learned an awful lot about the impact of stress. On children and their little developing brains, so children might appear to be very cross. Maybe of you know they might come into school and they might you might say that you know that that's a very aggressive child, but actually when somebody is aggressive, it's because they're frightened. Uh, you know when you when you when you're frightened, you go into fight or flight. Mm. So you either disengage or you become very angry. and It's because your body is telling you you're in danger and you need to protect yourself. So it's really important if you work with with little people. If you see a child that is very aggressive, that you recognize that as fear and not as anger. And just try to be curious about what might be going on in that child's world. And, you know, is mom and dad struggling with anything? And and what can you do to support them in a non-judgmental way? Because I genuinely believe that most people do not want to harm their children. And, you know, we all as parents really try our best. We don't always get it right. And sometimes we might have you know, we might be struggling and we need help. And if people approach us with judgment, we're never going to get
2: that help. Uh, And a parent uh, contacted us yesterday when we mentioned that you were going to be joining us on the programme to say, my children live in a home with a parent in recovery from very common but never spoken about dual addiction to gambling and alcohol. While sheltered as much as possible, I've no doubt they did experience arguments and hardships that they shouldn't have had to. My issue is now my son has presented with severe anxiety and is on a two-year waiting list to access the local child psychology services I live in fear of what his teenage years will be due to poor mental health and the possible genetic pretendency towards addiction. There's no support for children whose parents have suffered from addiction.
7: Okay, that's there's a lot in yeah. that statement. And I suppose I mean we all know that there are huge waiting lists for, for mental health services in Ireland. Um, and I suppose the problem is as well is that our mental health services are for people who are acu- acutely unwell. Um, and this would be very difficult for parents to hear, but anxiety is not considered to be an acute psychiatric issue. Um, we all get anxious. So it's about teaching, you know, children how to manage that anxiety. And, you know, being on a waiting list is going to cause more anxiety for mum because she's going to be wondering, you know, what's the next two years going to bring while I'm waiting. So if there's any way that she can access another service, um, you know, um, a kind of a family service. So contacting, you know, some of the NGOs, like the child may be too young for somewhere like Jigsaw, but, you know, even to link in with places like Bernardo's. Um,
2: there might just, be something else available. There might be something yeah. else, yeah.
7: because in all likelihood, by the time you get to the mental health services, you know, the child is only on the journey of, of, of anxiety and it mightn't be as bad as it could possibly be. So they might be quite limited themselves, you know, in terms of what they'd be able to offer. So it would be better to try and access services sooner. And, and you know, within the community, you don't always have to go to, to the mental health services. And the people in the community might say, look, actually, yes, yeah, the anxiety is so bad that I do think they need to be a psychologist um, or a psychiatrist. Or they might say, look, actually, we can work with this. You know, it is, there is lots of anxiety here, but we can work with this.
2: Okay. And if people want to find out more about um, Silent Voices, Sharon, they can go online?
7: Yeah, um, uh, Silent Voices has its own website. Okay. Um, and it's uh, supported by Alcohol Action Ireland. So, you know, there's just just some material there and some resources and some shared voices as well. So people have submitted their own stories. About what it was like for them as children and what that meant for them as adults, and and the huge resilience stories that come out, and that's a, that's a really important thing to note as uh, well. Children are incredibly resilient, yeah, yeah, much more resilient than us, yeah.
2: Um, I agree, and and uh, I, the, there are some powerful stories actually on the silent voices. I, I would uh, it's well worth going along uh, to the website. Okay, um, we're over on time. I've got to leave there, Sharon. Listen, real pleasure talking to you. Thank you for that. Thank You. Thanks, thanks for joining hi. us uh, and actually I don't think I gave Sharon her correct title she's Dr Sharon Lambert from the Department of Applied Psychology at University uh, College Cork and she was a member of the advisory group uh, with um, Alcohol Action Ireland for Silent Voices and uh, thanks to Sharon for joining us today 1850 we need to take a break we have news at 11 on the way we'll be chatting uh, with local in Cork to see how their night services have gone this was an extension of the service uh, over the back end of last year and also we will be hooking up with Spike Island about an exhibition on uh, prisoners who were interred there during the War of Independence.
0: Court
3: today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie
0: C103 c103 is online everywhere
3: we'll keep you up to date with everything happening across cork follow us
0: on facebook simply search for c103
3: join us on twitter search for our handle at c103 cork
0: and for photos and vids find us on instagram at c103 cork
3: connect with us on social today at c103 you're listening to cork today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed
2: we spoke in the last hour with the junior minister, Jim Daly, and uh, we touched on his suggestion for Uber style taxis. He says it would help combat uh, social isolation and while some people who live in rural areas thought this was a terrific idea, not everyone is in agreement with it. Some of your texts and calls in Christine Temple Glanty says, Patricia, what world is Jim Daly living in? People can hardly afford ordinary car insurance, not to mind becoming a taxi service. He must think we're all very naive if he thinks insurance companies will cooperate and close their eyes on this suggestion. The government have failed to address the present issues around insurance and to add this to the pot is creating another issue that will not be financially practical for the majority of people doing a part time taxi service with the costs and all of the red tape that's involved. Jim should just admit that the government are and have shut down rural Ireland and this is another gimmick to pretend that they're doing something for rural folk. That's from Christie. John says, hi Patricia Fina and Shane Ross have finished Rural Ireland all they're giving us is extra bills now the texter says won't this system be similar to the local area Hackney that didn't actually work and uh, whatsapp in saying this taxi thing it won't work for anyone on social welfare they would have to tell social welfare and then they would be cut the money for the hours that they were out driving and it wouldn't be worth their while to do it in, as a full-time job. Can you see the insurance company giving cheaper prices as was suggested by Jim Daly? I don't think so. What about the full-time taxi drivers? I don't think they would like the idea of other people taking their patch. Well, a full-time taxi driver has contacted us. Dermot is a taxi driver in the city. Can you turn down the radio, Dermot? I just it, turned it on the dog uh, <laughs> Good morning to you. You were listening to Jim. You think it's a pie-in-the-sky idea.
8: I do. To be honest, um, I, d- I don't think he, he's... T- OK, there's do's and don'ts and everything, right? Okay. We, are, we all know that. He's saying about the do's, but he's not telling those people about the don'ts. OK? Um, first of all, yes, I agree with what the people you just said about the insurance. they are not going to give them reduced insurance because they're driving actually longer hours than what they're normally doing anyway. So that's a pie in the sky as far as I'd be concerned. Also... If they do, they now have to declare themselves as being self-employed. Okay? So that brings brings in the cost of whether they bring in their own accountant to look after their affairs or whatever, but it's an extra cost. There'll be more wear and tear for them. Um, There'll be more, as I said, more time driving on the road. So that would be an increased premium, not a decrease. If Jim Daly gets um, cheaper insurance for those Uber-style cars, then what's he gonna do for taxi drivers that are paying six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven grand a year insurance? What's he gonna do for them? Also, there is also um, we just say for and say, I have to declare everything that I make in a year, mm. otherwise I don't get a tax clearance certificate, and if I don't get the tax clearance certificate, then I will not be able to renew my licence. So now these people, aren't, they're not being told all this at all. It's just playing this guy, oh yeah, we'll do this, no problem. I, I think, you know, it's a typical politician, we'll do this, bang, and that. They're not telling them to the do But it, it,
4: is there
2: an issue with... You're, you're based in the city. As a I taxi am, driver, but I'm, but I'm, do you I'm, go out I'm, I'm to r- in rural? Ireland. Yeah, and and do you? And it, it, this issue seems to come up on the busy nights, the Fridays and the Saturday nights. Would you say no to somebody who wants to lift to a rural area?
8: No, never have done. And if you want, to to um, start the, the night before, the Saturday night before Christmas, yeah, at about twenty to one in the morning, I was approached on Patrick's key. You know when I drop people to Dublin? And I said, jump in, I'll take you up. I never, I never refuse a fare yeah. unless they are totally out of their heads, right? Yeah. Now, with the Uber-style car, I tell you something else. And uh, no, because I go to the UK quite a lot, and every time to the drivers over there as well. But with the Uber-style car, just for argument's say, Tricia, that you're you're living in Mallow, right?
5: Mm-hmm.
8: And you're going to Cork when you Uber a car, and. Two doors down the road for you is John Paul, who you don't get on with. In fact, you despise each other for whatever reason. But John Paul is going to cock as well. He's entitled to get that Uber car with you.
2: Yeah, yeah, I know. That's, I, I, that's I mean, and that's that's an issue that would certainly uh, would be more prevalent in rural areas where you have people falling yes. out with each other and they don't yes. know, like the person down the road or, or, or whatever. Whereas if you're in the city and you've got more scope, you can pick, pick and choose the, the, the taxi. But do you accept that something has to be done for rural? We, we have an issue with rural isolation. I mean, in Jim's defence, he's trying to come up with something to combat rural isolation.
8: I can I can I can understand that, right? Yeah. So why don't the government why don't the government pay someone to do this for them? There's pubs out there that that, that even in Blackpool and in, in pubs that are dropping people back now. The problem was created, Tricia, by a certain minister about this drink driving thing, right? No, I don't agree with all the drink driving thing, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't be a drink driver myself. Do I drive I Yes I do. I won't start work the next day until after 12 o'clock or whatever if I go out tonight mm. the night before. But the government, you see, we're being dictated by a government that they don't really know what they're, what they're doing, to be honest with you. And it's about time that people have, I don't know, standing together and say, right, OK, look, yes, there is things for rural Island, right? First of all, they, they've done this thing with banning colleagues that is the 24-hour bus service, right? Last <laughs> Sunday night, after the hours of 12 o'clock, the bus out of Outer Valley
2: College had three people on it. Is that worked the while? Yeah, and actually we're going to, in this hour, talk about the the local link buses that have been operating for the last um, six, six months and I'd be interested to see, was anybody using the buses? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that, uh, yeah. yeah. And, there's no, and it's hard to justify putting on a bus for three people. It
8: is. Yeah, it,
2: it is. Okay. No. But no. it just go back to the Uber. Can you ever see Uber being introduced in this country? I can. You can?
8: I, I, I can. not No, I can't. No. There's, there's too many. No. Okay. First of all, if you're going for a new taxi licence, right? Your taxi, license. your taxi, if we just said, put uh, it this You go and you price for a licence, right? Mm. There, there's a test to become a taxi driver. OK? Mm. Now, you need to know, if you're in Cork, you need to know every part of Cork to pass that test. And I mean, if you're living in Cork City, you could be asked questions about a house in the state of Mallor, you could be uh, Castle Tongue Bear, Irie's... But
2: you're with Google Maps. Why, why do you need to have that knowledge?
8: This is it. This is it. And, and this is actually happening at the moment. If you want to pass your test, you have to, or if you want to get a PSV license, you have to do this test, and your
2: area knowledge has to be hundred percent. Whereas, whereas if Uber was introduced, it's, there's no test like that. You you just have to ha- you have to have your own car and have car insurance. Yes. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm looking at calls coming in. There's a lot of people agreeing with you. Uh, I have to say, Dermot, a lot of people saying this will scheme will never ever take off. Uh, it's uh, it's. People saying, use new words, pie in the sky, uh, suggestion it'll never take off any time we'll tell.
8: Okay. Um, just before you go, she, yeah. sorry, I picked up a passenger pre-Christmas um, from the UK, right? And Uber is in the UK. Yeah. And I, I just, oh, the genuine conversation, I asked the well, what do you think of Uber? She goes, it was the worst experience I've ever had. And I said, what do you mean? She said, I, was, I wanted to go to some place, I didn't trust the driver, I asked him to drop me off here instead. He wouldn't drop me off. He he got out of the car and he locked me into the car. Cool. That is what that lady said to me.
2: Well, that's just one Uber experience, you can't. But I mean, and yeah. But that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's I mean, quite frightening. It's quite scary.
8: Now, if you do that with a taxi, if you do that in a taxi, I'd be reported and I'd be guarded straight away
2: and your name and your number and everything is even and though I, I, I have been in Ubers where the picture of the driver is on it, you, 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 the, the details are there OK listen uh, Dermot thank you for that and thanks uh, for contacting the programme a number of people saying Dermot is dead right this idea hasn't been taught through Danny in Carrigaline says I agree with that taxi man Dermot who's talking so many issues with this type of service John in Mitchestown, I don't think Jim Daly has analysed this too well I don't think the current driving licence will allow uh, qualify or qualify people to drive, drive an Uber style service has the licence been looked at. But I suppose when it comes to the introduction of Uber into this country it has been introduced, you know, we're, we're not reinventing the wheel here, Uber it works very successfully in so many other countries so the actual System is in place. It's just it's a matter of introducing it into this country and just by the way on Uber when it comes to insurance another insurance will be nothing like what Dermot's talking about if you're a taxi driver six, seven thousand a year. This is where it would be a little bit unfair taxi drivers versus Uber drivers. If for in order to be an Uber driver this is in other countries you need to have your own car insurance and obviously your own car and what happens is Uber then provide the company, the Uber, overall Uber company who've got the app, they provide insurance companies as a a, a, a separate insurance coverage. And what happens is that that kicks in when the app is on. So when the Uber app is off, the driver is covered by their own personal car insurance. But when the app is turned on, then the the special supplementary insurance coverage is a special insurance coverage for uh, it. But in other countries... Uber drivers do not have to pay anything like the car insurance that our taxi drivers pay here, or they don't have to do any of the tests that our taxi drivers have to do. I mean, Jim Daly has said that if they if they do get this Uber style for rural areas underway, the drivers would have to be the vetted, they would have to have an NCT search uh, on their cars. Obviously, they would have to have their own insurance, and they also he has suggested would take journeys of no less than 15 kilometres from their own hometown. So they would operate very differently to a taxi. 18.50, 333103 lines are open. On Jim Daly's suggestions about the photo seat for the selfie, if you are taking a selfie, particularly on the coastal areas on the Wild Atlantic Way, Mag said "The, the photo seat would have been a better idea than those hanging poles that they have along the Wild Atlantic Way. That's from Mag's. Someone else says... Could we have bus shelters instead? Um, and then a couple of people on giving suggestions on the crib. Remember our, one of the first things I did at the start of the programme was Anne, wasn't it? One of our listeners was trying to buy outdoor crib figures last Christmas I wasn't able to get any she said she was wondering did anybody know of anywhere on sale Cork City or County because she'd like to get them and know where she can get them for next year number of people have been on to us including somebody saying Patricia I was driving through Bohor at Christmas and they had a fabulous crib encased in the square it looked like they were wooden pieces uh, quite big but it was very nice that's something complimenting um, crib in Boabwee so well done to whoever put that t- together Mary says Patricia read crib figures I think Han- Hanley's Garden Centre had them before Christmas if Anne rang Hanley's Garden Centre she could check out do they still have them in stock and then I know John Paul got a lot of calls Geraldine said on the main street in Abbey Field there's a shop that sells the crib figures that Anne is looking for And there was also Nora in McCroom said Griffin's Garden Centre in Dripsy. They had lots of those outdoor crib figures around Christmas and Nora in McCroom says by the way they still have them guess how I know I just checked with them (laughs) well done Nora in McCroom, doing the research for us so Griffin's Garden Centre in Dripsy and so a number of suggestions there hopefully you'll be able to get your crib figures in plenty of time for next Christmas C103 Jobs Hard Fallon Motor Care on the Kinsale Road. They're looking for experienced motor vehicle technician. While Blackwater Metal Recycling in Bohobway, they have one position available for a person with previous experience in motor trade and office administration. You need to be fluent in English. Barry's Cash Carry in Mallow. They've got a vacancy for a full-time Arctic lorry driver and a child binder is wanted to mind. Three children ideally in the children's own home. Now, it does involve some school runs. It's two to four days per week and it's in the Dunmanway area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103.
3: Cork Today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie C103.
0: This is the Cork Today replay
2: on C103. Transport Minister Shane Ross is to extend by three months a pilot scheme of buses taking rural drinkers home from the pub, saying the initial six-month period wasn't enough to decide whether it is cost-effective or not. To chat about how the local service is doing, I'm joined by David O'Brien, who's manager with Local Link. Uh, Cork. Good morning to you David Morning Patricia. Uh, you're welcome to the programme. 50, Thank you. 50 rural communities uh, were included um, in this scheme we got three Correct. here here in Cork. Just remind us of the routes that operate that operate here in
9: Cork. Yeah well actually we got five um, in total in Cork. We got um, there's four of them are predominantly in the north um, side of the county there's one operating around Boerby Drum Tariff area and that's on a Wednesday night, and then there's one on a Friday night to Cecil, Cecilstown, Cantor, Lismore direction. There's one on Saturday night around the Rock Chapel, Mayland, Newmarket area. And then on Sunday night, there's one uh, around Nad, Lyre, Bantier. And then there's also one on, um, down on the other side of the county, Kinsale to Cannaquiltia on a Friday, Saturday night.
2: And how successful have they been?
9: Um, I suppose, you know successful is, is it's hard to quantify what successful is and if you if you if you decide that successful is on on passenger numbers alone well then you have to kind of set a barometer as to what that might be so i'm always a little cautious about trying to figure out if a service is a success because there's 20 people or because there are 10 people using it recognizing the fact that you have to have numbers for it to justify it but nevertheless we have to be uh, put it in a context here because we're talking about rural Ireland and we're talking about rural areas and isolated areas. So where you have five people in one area or seven people using a service, then that could very well equate to 20 people using it in a more populated area. Mm, so in general in general terms, um, the services are working very well. And I think the most um, important part of it is that the communities are kind of taking ownership of it in a lot of the areas and they're recognising and they're identifying the people who might have of off services. And like these services can't operate in isolation and there's no point in putting on a linear type service and say that we will run the service from A to B to C and back again. Um, and people not knowing about it or, it, you know, if you're living a mile off that, where that route is tra- is travelling, um, it's not much good to you if you can't come up to the cross to meet the bus or whatever. So there, you have to be a little bit more creative, and you you by doing that, you need local knowledge. So, um, in in that, I think that the whole evening services will operate best um from a community from a bottom up community um, led perspective i, and,
2: I, I and it's it's like whenever we talk about the rural post offices david the use it or lose it principle
9: yeah and and i agree like there's use it or lose it patricia and that's fair enough like but you know unfortunately that like that sometimes can be used as a threat as well um the same with the post offices are or, or with like you look at i mean it's you know we're we're repeating ourselves here but look towns and villages particularly small family-run businesses uh, in these little towns and villages like the shop or the pub or whatever, a lot of them are finding all of this very, very challenging. I, 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 I do it to be unfair to say they're on their knees, but some of them are struggling. And it's just the fact of life and the way things have happened and the way things are developing. And there's no magic wand to kind of find a solution to this. It's, it's going to be a combination of a number of factors and features and supports and I know people often say that, you know, that Dublin is a parallel universe and, you know, they have all the services there and rural Ireland don't. And there's an element of truth in that. But nevertheless, you have to be, you have to work locally with what you have mm. and, and try and find solutions. And it's not a one size fits all that's going to solve this problem because it, it impacts. A whole-
4: when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring.
1: Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
9: Whole range of services. And it's not, like, the one thing that, uh, that I'm kind of concerned about is that it's focused in on pubs and you know well, it, that was going big, to
2: be that was going to be the, the next point i was going to bring up about this evening bus service and i remember at the time when we spoke about it being launched right. and and underway last may uh, people were constantly referring to it as the the drink link That's but right. it but it's about a lot more than bringing somebody to the pub
9: well, look, Patricia. I think that's a kind of sort of a cynical description of the service and what it was meant to be and what it was, what it was originally designed for. And again, it's kind of rural Ireland, Ireland having to apologise for it, for a service. And it's, as I said um, previously, it's not about the pub. Like, there's a whole lot of other services. There's community involvement. There are halls. There are social centres. Um, there's um, church services. And there's a whole lot of other services that. That are, are intertwined in an evening service. So, so, um, if you just focus only on just getting people to a pub and back, then there's this kind of a cynical attitude. There's, there, then the people's perceptions and perspectives on drink and everything becomes tangled up in the whole thing. So, um, we need to kind of step back from that and look at it in a holistic manner, and look at the service to support people who are living in isolated areas. And even if it's only just that they can get out and meet people, because people genuinely are sort of, I could almost say trapped in their homes now. They can't get out, and they don't have the social interaction that they used to have heretofore.
2: Okay, well, this is the the extension is of the evening bus service, and it looks like Minister Ross is going to extend it for another uh, uh, three months. Would your wish be... That this remains in place permanently, and indeed then ex- extended to other areas.
9: Well, obviously it would, um, but uh, you know, as I said at the outset, um, we need to think of ways and opportunities to address this. And, and I've no doubt that rural communities are very inventive when it comes to this, um, and they all pull together. And you need only look at the GA for it as an example of how resourceful they can be when they can build fantastic. Football pitches, clubhouses and everything. Obviously with central funding, but also with local supports. And that kind of an idea and that concept that we just can't think of just putting on a service that's going to go into a town or into a village or whatever. We, as I said, we need to just broaden it out a little bit um, for our communities to come together and like come up with ideas, come up with proposals and not to have it as a, as a kind of a, a one trick pony. Um, just broaden it out like that. And OK, it's, we're in a transitional stage at this point with three months. Uh, the minister has announced that he's going to run it up to the end of, of March. But then I would hope that it would be broadened out then. And obviously resources and funding uh, is an integral part of this. But then there's the other element of it, is identifying opportunities and identifying areas and identifying ways... Of um, combating social
5: isolation.
2: Okay, well, it's the evening service we're focused uh, uh, on here, you, yeah, yeah, you, you, you in, have in a, a very, you have a daytime service. How is that? How is that going? Are you busy?
9: Yeah, we're busy with those as well. Thankfully, um, and the daytime services, I suppose, cross over to a certain extent to the evening services, because again, it's it's the whole getting services, getting people into towns and villages, and. Oftentimes, it's not for the huge amount of shopping that they need to do, but it's again just to meet their friends, have the cup of coffee, um, have a bit of life in a in a town or in a village, and um, that's it's very simple stuff, but it's very very important.
2: Okay, and people can find out more about Local Link on your website, LocalLinkCork.ie, they can, or
9: they, can they can phone either of the two offices. Patricia Bantry is zero um, two seven five two seven two seven, or for my is five oh two five, obviously. 51454, and we'd be delighted to work with uh, communities um, in any aspect of what we just
2: spoke about. Okay. All right. It's a terrific service. Long may it continue, uh, David, and uh, thank you for joining us and talking to Thanks us today. No Good problem. morning thank to you. you. That is uh, David O'Brien, and David is the manager of Local Link. Cork. Uh, and actually I was on their website yesterday in advance of, of David joining me. Um, it, impressive website but all the timetables, all the different buses uh, that are running. So please you know, be aware of that and if you're living in any of the areas uh, that are serviced by the local link, please use it. And it's a great way, as David said, just to get out and about and meet, meet other people as well and meet other people that you live close to or are nearby. I mean it, it certainly is going a long way towards combating uh, social isolation and long long may that continue. Okay, some of your other comments coming in to us uh, people still commenting on the cabs that we were talking about and the Uber style. Um it's funny, you know, we were talking with Dermot who's a taxi driver and obviously taxi drivers are going to be very much against this type of taxi service operating in this country. Others are just worried about the insurance aspect uh, of it. Daniel Clana Kilty says how will insurance deal with this? Will people need business insurance to cover themselves? There will be an extra cost for the driver. Well no because if it operates the way Uber operates in different countries, you don't. You just have your own uh, normal car insurance and then the Uber company takes out a special insurance for when the app is on. Jerry in Kenturk says, really hope this Uber-style taxi for rural areas comes into being. It's hard to get home, but also many people are now isolated as they don't meet many people in their local bars and they don't drive. So hopefully something like this will work out. Kay in Mill Street says, I think a taxi service that will bring people out to rural areas uh, and into towns. Uh, will make a difference especially with the current driving laws people are afraid to move late at night or evening time are are afraid to move late at night or in the evening time and now people are afraid to move in the mornings uh, as well Uh, Jenny said I have used Uber taxis all over the world. It is a very, very efficient system. Also what people need to remember with an Uber versus a taxi uh, in sometimes it can be half the price of a taxi so it's much cheaper than using taxis so a lot of people uh, will be able to afford to get a taxi to and from an area if Uber is introduced. Good luck to Minister Jim Daly with this proposal, says Jenny. And on something completely different, Tony, Abandon was on to us quite early this morning my apologies Tony I didn't get to your text he was stopped on McSweeney Key in Bandon yesterday now John Paul reckons it was between after two between two and three yesterday afternoon Tony contacted us he said he was stopped for a full 15 minutes traffic was going nowhere it was at a standstill he said it was so bad people were getting out of their cars and trying to look up the road to see what was going on there were also delays on the main street in Bandon Tony feels the works that are going on at the moment in Bandon that they need to do something to address the traffic situation without having people stuck in their cars and not moving for over 15 minutes. Is it just a case though because the flood relief works are going on, talk to people in any other towns that have had flood relief works in the past, uh, Mallow, Fermoy, um, Ennis, Clonmel, any other town where these works are, have gone on, you just have to, as frustrating as it is, you just kind of have to suck it up and get used to the delay, d- delays and Tony, honest to God, in a year or two, when everything's done and dusted and the works are complete and we, we will be talking about flooding and banded as something in the past because please God it'll never happen again, you'll have forgotten about all of those delays. And I sense your frustration and I know if you've got an appointment and you're sitting there and your clock is ticking by and you're sitting in your car and you're not moving, I can I can sense your frustration. It isn't easy, but it's just one of these things that works unfortunately or fortunately some would say have to go on so you just have to get on uh, with it and while we're I'm waiting John Paul to put through the the next interview let me look at some of your uh, texts coming in Uh, Christy says Hi Patricia Shane Ross should spend a month in a rural area six or seven miles away from a local village or a local town and let's just see how he gets on since the majority of TDs are from rural Ireland it's obvious that most of them don't give a damn about what is happening in their area but they still managed to get re-elected. It appears the more the people are kicked by our politicians the more they keep re-electing them. When will the people say enough is enough? Uh, kind regards. That is uh, from uh, Christy. And just says, Hi Patricia, I know where, so where, where friends of mine live. A taxi costs 30 euro each way if they want to go out for a few hours. That's 60 euro uh, return. And that's just to get out of the house for the few hours. That is very, very expensive uh, indeed. And that's where... If Uber was introduced in this country, those prices would come down Well, for the Uber taxi uh, anyway. They they certainly are much cheaper than a traditional taxi. Now, in April of this year, Spike Island will put on display a War of Independence exhibition. To help with the exhibition, a call has gone out to the general public for any photographs, documentation and artefacts associated with the Republican men who were held as prisoners on Spike Island. Joining me with more about the project is John Crotty and John is the Spike Island General Manager. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, and how are you? I'm very well, and you're welcome to the programme. Now, the War of Independence, uh, we only mentioned it yesterday because it started 100 years ago yesterday, 21st of January 1919, so it's kind of appropriate we're talking about it this week. How many men were interred on Spike Island between then and the ending in, in 1921?
10: Do you know there were 1,400 at any one time? That was the maximum number that were held, and there were over 2,000 over the course of the two years. So, quite a large number of men who were simply lifted off the streets or were arrested and tried in kangaroo courts and sent to the island. Have
2: you the names of the majority of the men?
10: We do. We've actually got 95% completion so far on all the 1,400 that would have been there. So it's fantastic that we're so up to date, but we really are looking for additional information, background stories, even more, and a bit of info on the remaining as well.
2: What was life like for those prisoners?
10: You know, it was considered uh, something of an independence camp, really, for want of a better way of putting it. They weren't particularly mistreated in that they weren't being kept locked up in cells for ridiculously long hours of the day, and there was an element of security on the island, of course, being an island. So they weren't, you know, chained to the wall or anything like that as they would have been 100 years previous. But having said that, you know, a lot of them had simply been walking down the street, were lifted, arrested, and taken to the island without any trial. So there would have been a lot of anger and a lot of resentment on the place at the time against the treatment and the incarceration.
2: And were the majority or many of them from Cork City and County?
10: Certainly there were, but we've got records from almost all 32 counties. Uh, Spike Island was the largest holding centre in the country at the time. Uh, Again, it was uh, was the third time the island had been used as a prison, and it was a bit of a sequence that any time there was issues on the mainland and they needed to requisition a prison, that Spike Island was used. So you'd absolutely find individuals and family names from all over the island at that stage.
2: And it's it's interesting when you say some of these men were just literally lifted off the street. There was, you know, no trial or if there was a trial, it was a kangaroo court. Would they, would their families have been notified that they've been taken to Spike?
10: Not in the slightest. Uh, regularly, it was a case of they'd have to put a request out to the local constabulary to ask if this individual or somebody by this name had been transported to Spike. So it could have been a couple of days later and no doubt there were individuals wondering what had happened to their loved ones at the time.
2: Well. Completely different uh, era and a a very different time and yet only 100, 100 years ago. Did some die on Spike?
10: They did, I'm afraid. I mean, there were a few died of, uh, quite often it was sickness and illness. Uh, The island can be a harsh place in winter and, of course, the cells certainly wouldn't have been luxurious and overcrowding would have been uh, a problem of the time. Uh, There were one or two actually killed as well by prison guards in what are considered, uh, uh, shall we say, suspicious circumstances. They were accused of escaping, but it's believed it may have been in reprisal for attacks that had taken place uh, on other parts of the mainland the days before.
2: So anyone who has any information, photographs, artefacts of a family member, I'm, I'm assuming it would be, who they believe were incarcerated on Spike, that's who you want to hear from?
10: Absolutely. That would be a great priority for us because the exhibition, it's focusing on the whole history of the War of Independence, you know, the causes, what happened during, and of course, what happened to those men on Spike Island. So we'd love to give those personal stories if anybody has info. But even anything related to the War of Independence is of interest to us. Any individuals, certainly from the Cork area, we'd love to hear the stories.
2: And you're going to have a genealogy room?
10: We are indeed, that's the plan. So anybody who comes to the island will be able to search for family members by name. Uh, We're going to make all that information readily available. So the the sentence, uh, the date of their trial, how long they were on spike. Uh, We actually have autograph books and several memorabilia from prisoners and prisoner art that was made here. So I think some lucky people are going to be really, really delighted with what they discover.
2: And when do you reopen for visitors this year?
10: We're actually reopening on Saturday week. uh, Saturday the 1st of February. It'll be the first year we'll be open for weekends and half terms uh, from February on. And we go seven days and be until September.
2: Okay. And any other, anything else new for the 2019 season?
10: We do indeed. We've got a Ring of Spike walking trail, which is actually opening up on February the second. We're just installing the uh, the signs and the way wayposts today, and we've also got a shivs and shanks exhibition. So actually, a What's collection that? of a shivs and shanks exhibition of all things. A little bit gruesome, you might think, but uh, we'll be showing some of the prisoner weapons that were found on the island during the 1980s and 90s.
2: Oh, OK. <laughs> That's well worth a visit, I can tell you that. I was out there last year, last year. I think it was March, April. Terrific day out. I mean, it, it really is proving to be very popular, not just for overseas visitors, but very popular for local tourists.
10: Ah, It is, you know, we're so lucky with the depth of history, you know, if your interest is military or prison or religious or just social history, you know, we're we're lucky that the island has been used for everything over the last 1300 years, so we find somebody, finds something they can connect with and take away with them.
2: Yeah, I'm not being sexist now when I say this, but I had a group of little boys went with me the day we went out to the island, oh my God, the fascination for boys with Spike Island and the guns and everything. It's just, it was terrific to watch, I have to say, to see it through the eyes of of smallies. Listen, have a great
10: season, John, and how can people contact you? Uh, We're on our website, uh, spikeislandcork.ie and they can get an email or phone number on there to book the tickets.
2: Okay. All right. Uh, Thank you for that, uh, John, and good luck with the exhibition. Thank you. Thanks uh, for joining us. And if anybody has anything at all that they would like to put into that exhibition, photographs, documentation, artefacts, anything associated with it, perhaps a family member who you believe was um, on Spike Island during the War of uh, Independence 100 years ago, please make contact uh, as well. Lots of uh, texts coming in and I'll catch up with a lot of those afternoons at 12. But just a couple of different issues getting raised on the programme via text message. And here's a good one. Uh, as an aside issue from discussions this morning, I was just thinking of the farming community and the rules and regulations they have to endure. The weather has started to get very wintry with cold conditions deteriorating, especially in poor quality land. The slurry spreading season was closed until January the 15th after we had experienced good weather and good ground conditions which would have been very suitable for slurry spreading. Now that the ground conditions are deteriorating, slurry spreading season has now opened when it could have been done all throughout the month of December. When will the farming community stand up for themselves and demand that farming can't be based on calendar dates Kind regards, says uh, Christy by text to 0862 103 103. And that is a good point. Is It is very hard to demand that the work that is done, like by people in the farming community, that it's got to be fixed to calendar dates because you can never, on a calendar date, tell what the weather is going to be like. I mean, from year to year, it can vary so much. You could have one wonderful spring day in March and are, and that's what we would hope for this year. When you compare it to last year when we had the beast from the east, so it's very hard to look at a calendar and say things can start on that day and it can end on that day because traditionally we have good weather or we have fine weather or it doesn't rain much then. We can never predict that uh, in this country. So I, th- I think it's a, it's, a, it's a good and a fair point from uh, Christy. There certainly was very good conditions. For the spreading of slurry throughout the month of December, We've, we're constantly hearing from people who cut their lawns throughout December, and we're cutting the lawns even last week. Now that might all stop a little bit at the moment with the cold spell we're in, but now that we're into slurry spreading season, it's underway, and yet the conditions are not going to be right for it. I'd be I'd be interested in the thoughts from members of the farming community on Christie's point to. Do the rules and regulations, do they need to bend a little bit and not be as rigid as they are and not be based around calendar dates? 1850 333 Pat was on to say he wasn't happy with what happened in the doll yesterday. He said, did you see all the doll members yesterday? Surely they were wasting their time celebrating the 100th year Of the first sitting of Dahl Aaron, they should be doing better. Pat thought it was a disgrace. Uh, Yeah, but if we didn't honour and mark the occasion, would people be giving out? I think it's only right that we marked an occasion like that, the 100th. D- sitting of the of the doll. I mean, we, did we celebrate it? Yeah, we did. I mean, and all for the for the doll and the Senate, were Everybody was together for it. It was very dignified. The bit I didn't see a lot of it now, but the bit I did see of it was very was very dignified because I thought it was in stark contrast to what was going on across the water with Theresa May and what's happening in Westminster. And the lack of disrespect shown. Now I know I, before somebody jumps in and says, "I command our Would you look at our own doll? Sometimes they can be they can be cat fights uh, go on. But I just thought yesterday it was very dignified what we did to commemorate the hundred years, compared to what was going on in Westminster. And yes, we do have fights in the doll here, but I don't think they ever get. They don't seem to get as nasty or as personal as they do, the way they do in uh, Westminster. 1850 We're going to take a break. We have news at 12 midday on the way. We'll catch up with more of your texts and comments that have come in throughout uh, the morning. And we're also going to talk addiction with Joe Heffernan. And we have a listener sharing a story of how paramedics saved the day in her house.
3: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
2: We're going to be talking about addictions with uh, Joe Heffernan later on on this hour and earlier we spoke with Alcohol Action Ireland about their Hidden Voices uh, campaign and actually I meant to, and my apologies, I didn't at at the time because I ran out of time when I was talking uh, with the lady from Alcohol Action Ireland, I meant to acknowledge somebody who sent in a huge amount of information yesterday when they were aware that we were doing this interview today and it's information about Al-Anon and Al-Anon work with people who are living with somebody who is addicted to uh, alcohol and there is a Dublin helpline number it operates 7 days a week from 10am to 10pm and it's answered by members from all over the country even though it is a Dublin number it's 018732699 if there's anybody listening who as we speak living with somebody who is battling with alcohol addiction and you need help Give on a call; they're a wonderful organisation. Oh one eight seven three two six nine nine. And there's an open Al-Anon information meeting in the Dominican Centre on Pope's Quay in Cork on the first Wednesday of every month. It's right across from the Opera House, and it's at half past eight on the first Wednesday of every month. Open meeting. If you just want to uh, go along, and I know the this lady who dropped in the information to us is saying that there's also. Uh, there's talks of or they're hoping to set up a Mallow Al-Anon they're putting together open information meetings which they're going to run in February um, and our March and she's promised to send me in information that we will be able to let people know uh, about but in the, me- in the meantime the first Wednesday of every month the Dominion the the Dominican Centre on Pope's Quay in Cork but that number if you want to call them 018732699 that is Alanon. Mary in North Cork is reacting to the piece on the news about the new developments that are going on in Mallow and I think we're hoping to get uh, to it tomorrow on the programme we just didn't get to it uh, today but Mary's a bit critical because she says before they get to all these new developments in Mallow the Mallow town needs more accommodation from May until September every hotel and B&B in the area is full Mary knows this because she has relatives who come home during the summer months and they are having finding in recent years are finding it difficult to get accommodation locally. Mary, Mary is also against the proposal to put the playground in Mallow to move it from its current location on the Park Road in Mallow which is next to Tesco and instead put it into Mallow Castle. The Park Road is an ideal location for when people are finished shopping etc. You can bring the children and head down to the park. She thinks Placing it in the castle grounds would be a nightmare. She also was, worry, was worried that it would draw teens. They'd be getting up to antisocial behaviour. Also, she was in the castle area recently and it was all gravel. It's not easy if you're trying to push a buggy around that area. Well, maybe that's something they're going to look at. Well, I suppose, we'll, as I say, we'll try and find out more about this proposal tomorrow. I take it they're trying to develop the castle a- a area and just, you know, by putting a playground in there would be great. It would encourage more families. To go and use it. Maybe that issue with the gravel with buggies would have to be looked at as well. And I don't know if it's a case of putting a new play park into the castle and then it's. it's, and are they saying that they would close the one on the park road could it not be a case that they could allow both you could have the one on the park road and have another one inside in the castle as I say Uh, Mary stick with us and tune our way tomorrow because we're hoping to talk more about it tomorrow on the programme Now we've been talking about people going to the pub and drinking and the problems of rural isolation with stiffer drink driving laws and that people don't go out anymore because they're afraid before they used to go and they'd have a couple of pints and then they drive home they can't do that anymore and whenever that issue gets mentioned we always hear people say well why don't you go to the pub or the club and not drink alcohol why do we always have to assume that everything we do every time we go out that it has to involve uh, drink well Tony's picking up on that because Tony who says he used to be, he had an addiction problem when it came to alcohol. He was an alcoholic, but thankfully he's off the drink and he's off it for many, many uh, years. But he says that when he first went off the drink and when he used to continue socialising and going into bars and clubs and whatever, he'd order either a glass of water or he'd have some kind of a mineral, a glass of orange, whatever it was. And he says as soon as he'd be sitting there drinking the mineral or the glass of water, he noticed that people would kind of start moving away from him. Nobody really wanted to talk to our Tony when he was sitting there with a glass of orange in in his hand. So he decided one day he'd switch it up and he'd get a glass of non-alcoholic beer. He said, lo and behold, as soon as he was sitting in the bar drinking the beer, lots of people came and were talking to uh, him. So he has suggested that if people still want the atmosphere of the pub but they don't want to drink and drive or they're fearful of being over the limit the next day, he has suggested, why not have, why not have non-alcoholic beer because you'll be able to drive home after with no worries at all people still thinking, still think you're drinking and you'll be able to have all the atmosphere of the pub and by all accounts I haven't had a non-alcoholic beer I remember tasting one many many years ago and I didn't like it when they first came out but I'm told that non-alcoholic beers have improved vastly over the years and that now if you picked up a non-alcoholic beer there's very little difference in the taste I'm told to what? Drinking ordinary beer. 1850-333-103. Some of your texts in... Thank you, Mike, for your spot. Mike's text Welcome me back on the airways. Thank you for that, uh, Mike. Now, here's a completely different one. Hi, Patricia. Would you ask your listeners, please, for advice? I booked a flight a few weeks ago and then today I paid and added a 20kg bag onto my booking. It added the 20kg bags, but they haven't shown up on my boarding pass. But they, it has shown up on my travel itinerary email. Well, I have a problem at the airport, thanking you, says uh, Pat. No, don't think you're going to have any problems at all. I've done that. I did that last year. I, I made a booking and only realised after I'd made the booking that I would need to have extra luggage with me. So I added a bag on and if my memory serves me right, it just didn't show up on the boarding pass either, I think because it wasn't on the initial booking. But then I'm kind of thinking with generally speaking on your boarding pass, if you have checked in bags, Is it on your boarding pass as well? I don't know. But anyway, when you get to the airport, no, once it's on your travel itinerary and you've paid for it, your bag gets checked in and then you take your boarding pass and you head through the gates and off you go. So no, you shouldn't have any problem at all. But if you're worried in any way, just give the airline a call if you want to double check. But certainly my reading on it would be no, you won't have any problems. If anybody else wants to add advice there, please do. 1850 333 103. A West Cork listener says, Hi Patricia, hope this email finds you well. It does Indeed. I wonder, could you do a section on your programme on jobs path? As people who are unemployed have no say over what I feel, says this West Cork listener, is an unhelpful scheme. All they do is give you welcomed grief. Unemployed people have no say over what is, I feel, a useless scheme. This is my second time on it, thanking you from a West Cork listener. So how do other people I don't I have to I'll put my hands up now and say I know little or nothing about Jobs Path so I'll see if this afternoon if I can do a bit of research uh, on it for this West Cork listener but let's throw it out there because it's always good to get other people's views because sometimes you might have somebody who just doesn't particularly like whatever it is the scheme in this case it's, a, it's I take it it's a back to work kind of a job scheme that's called Jobs uh, Path and it could be just that this person is unlucky that they've had what isn't a very satisfactory time on this particular programme, but maybe others find it absolutely fantastic and they think jobs bridges the bee's knees and the cat's pajamas, and maybe it's led on to full time unemployment. Who knows? So let us put it out there over the airways and see if anybody has a view. Jobs Path. Uh, would you be agreeing with this listener that it's an unhelpful scheme, useless? This listener's gone so far as to call it. I do you think it's a really good, really good productive scheme? Jobs path is what it is called, if you can help us with that. We've been talking about car insurance. Well, car insurance with relation to taxi companies, but that then led to people talking about the high cost of car insurance. Martin from Moyes says, what a laugh, Patricia. Car insurance is banjaxed. This country is banjaxed. The government is banjaxed. The whole of rural Ireland is banjaxed. What a laugh. Bring back the pound, says Martin in Fomoy. Are you saying you want us to have our own Brexit get out of of Europe completely. On the taxis, perhaps the National Transport should issue new hackney and taxi licences for people to get into the industry, says a texter. And someone else says a message to Jim Daly. Would it not be better for Jim Daly to sort the ambulance driver's rota out and let the Minister for Transport look after taxis? And some of your texts coming into the programme, some of your WhatsApps on this Uber-style taxi for rural area. This is only for the pubs. It'll finish taxis in rural Ireland, says the texter, if this is introduced. While Michael in Castletown Bear says, Patricia, this might be a wake-up call for the taxi folk. Jim Daly's idea is working, i.e. Uber, is working worldwide Why not have it work here in Ireland? Why do we get up in arms over any kind of change? Thanking you, says uh, Michael. And can I just explain, because I can see a number of calls and texts coming in with everybody talking about Uber and people saying oh should the cost of the insurance will go through the roof and all of that how if they bring in Uber and an Uber style for rural areas how Uber works in other countries is that the company Uber they're the ones who take out the insurance on the car the person driving the car has their own insurance for when they're driving the car themselves and then the Uber policy only clicks in When the Uber driver switches on the app, when they get into the car to decide I'm going to work three hours tonight or I'm going to do two hours, you know, in the morning, they get into the car, they switch on the app, which then tells the Uber base that whoever it is, me, Trisha, for example, she's available for work now, uh, this morning, so then the app goes on on my phone and in my car and then they'll send me along my merry way and if a call comes in, I'll, I'll get sent off uh, and that's how it works. And at that moment in time, then the Uber insurance takes over and then the minute, this is if I'm the Uber driver, the minute I stop driving, switch off the app, go home and then if I'm out in the car in the afternoon and I want to go to local supermarket or the Queen grocers to get my veg, then I... I'm on my own insurance. I'm off the Uber. That's how it works. So the driver doesn't end up taking out a different insurance uh, policy Uh, and hence the reason why it has worked so well in other uh, countries. Okay, if an Uber taxi says, Audrey, if Uber taxi comes here, they should be licensed and have proper insurance like all taxis then they would be all singing off the same hymn sheet, says Audrey. Well, again, that's the argument I'm making. It works in other countries where you've got Uber and taxi companies working side by side and they seem to run very well together. I don't know... Again, I'd have to do some research on it, but I've never heard of taxis going out of business in other countries because Uber has come in. Now, maybe that's because they run in countries where there's a bigger population base. And maybe that's one of the reasons why we'll never get Uber in this country. We simply don't have enough people in order for it to run parallel with the taxi company. Because there's no way Uber would be introduced in this country if it's going to be the death nail of taxi uh, companies, that's for sure. Okay what else is coming in I want to thank Mary in Newmarket says this texter for giving the washing machine to me and my children they needed it so badly and thank you to everybody at C103 for helping out on that particular case when somebody was looking for a washing machine and Mary in Newmarket jumped in well done to uh, Mary in Newmarket we talk, We spoke about breathalysers earlier on a listener said I bought one of those oh this is Mary thank you Mary I bought one of those AlcoSense breathalysers uh, Patricia that you were talking about I got it in Boots Chemist for 50 euro it is very handy to have it I'm assuming most chemists now have breathalysers on sale because I think they are becoming something that is much you know people are kind of saying now you everybody needs to have one in order to check Nobody's gone drinking and driving at night but in order to check the following morning so if you go into any of your chemists it's just that AlcoSense is the make of the make and model of the one that I actually bought. And a different Mary says, Good morning to you Patricia. Um, could you raise the issue of lights in Tesco car park in Mallow? It is so dark at night time in that p- car park especially coming out to the car it can be very frightening. Actually I know before Christmas I, I normally wouldn't be shopping at night or in the, in the evening time. I'd have I'd have you know once the I've normally everything done on my business done during the day. But there was an occasion where I ended up going to the Tesco to to Tesco before Christmas cause before I went away and you know that last minute panic when you oh God I suddenly realised I'd forgotten something I need needed to bring with me and I drove over to Tesco and actually I couldn't get over how dark that car park was. That's a private car park though owned by. Tesco, That isn't a council car park. So in order to you'd have to put a complaint in to Tesco in Mallow or send it on to head office to say, would you do something about brightening up your car park? Because it is a private car park. But I would agree with you. I certainly would agree with you, Mary. It is a particularly dark, dark uh, car park. John Paul has taking your calls, 1850-333-103. You can text our WhatsApp 0862-103-103.
0: The C103 Cork Diary.
3: With Cork County Council, supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie.
0: There's
2: a public meeting going ahead in Dromina Community Hall this evening at half past seven. It's to discuss the water quality issues in the Upper Deal River catchment area staff from the local authority Waters Programme will attend and there will be a questions and answer session. The Irish Blood Transfusion Service they've got a donor clinic Fernhill House Hotel in Clonakilty today between 5pm and 8.30pm and again tomorrow Wednesday 3 to 5 tomorrow afternoon. And again, 7 to 9 tomorrow night. Cook County Council are hosting a free festival and events workshop in the Oriel House in Ballincollig. That's on this evening at 5pm. Get advice on marketing, planning or management, policies and guidelines from industry experts. Balloncolic Community Development Association, they've got a fundraising Kaylee in the Marion Hall in Balloncolic. That's on Friday night. Music by Jerry McCarthy from 945 and teas will be served. And Shannon Villa Defibrillator Group will hold their annual fundraising table quiz at Barrett's Lodge on Friday night at half eight. Tables of
0: four, please.
3: Court today with Breedhaven nursing home mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See Breedhaven.ie. C
0: one oh three.
2: Now as we've been mentioning all day in our news and actually I started the programme uh, with it, 500 ambulance personnel are striking today. It's in a dispute with the HSE over union recognition um, and we were asking people would. Uh, where they where they stood on this particular strike and did they support the ambulance uh, personnel that prompted Mary in Rathcool uh, to contact us with her story. Good morning to you, Mary. Good morning, Patricia. Um, you have a great story about paramedics, how they came to your home uh, and to the aid of your grandchild.
11: Y- yes. Uh, well, it wasn't to my home, it was to my daughter's home in Meiland.
2: OK, tell us what happened. Yes. Yeah.
11: Elizabeth, my daughter, just married to a uh, John O'Sullivan, had one little girl two years and September uh, two years and two months. Okay. Sarah, the, <laughs> the love of my life, right, um, was expecting again, and she was here with me on Thursday, the eighth of November. She went to the clinic, and she was four days overdue, and she came home, and she was told if nothing had happened. By Wednesday the following week, she was to go to Cork Bag and Baggage. Okay. Went home, and uh, I never heard of it until 3 o'clock in the morning. I got a phone call. No, it was half 3 nearly. Audrey was the one that got a phone call at 3. She's the mother of the two special needs boys. I've yeah. been be, uh, talking about them before, and they have a little sister who's 13 months, and she's a walking, talking dolly. So that proves that... Miracles do happen, but anyway, she went to Elizabeth, Audrey and Elizabeth are married to two brothers, Dennis and John, and they're across the road from each another, so Audrey ran in, and Audrey thought she was going to be my niece, Sarah, and John was after putting the bags in the boot of the car, and they were striking for MCUH, but Audrey rang me, and it was about probably 20 past 25 past 3, and she said to me, Mom, I think Elizabeth's pains are quite close. And she said they're about three minutes apart. So I said, ring an ambulance.
2: And how far is Muehling to the maternity hospital?
11: About an hour and a half. Oh God,
2: okay, all right. Yeah.
11: So they rang the ambulance and I said, she can go on the ambulance and I'll get over to you in about a half an hour. I'll stay with Sarah and you get back into your own house to Dennis, The two special needs boys and little Sa- little Siobhan. So... That was fine. She rang the ambulance. I sat into the car. I called Anne-Marie, which is my baby here, who's getting married in October. And I said, we must go to Milan first. So we made it in 20 minutes. She's 17 miles away. I won't say if okay. I... Okay. <laughs> I won't say if I speed we were going at. But we, get, we made it in 20 minutes. Okay. And as I went up the road to Elizabeth's house, all the lights were on, and I could see there was a truck or something in front of the, her house. And I never stopped crying for once I left here <laughs> until I got there.
2: You were so worried about her.
11: About the court.
5: Ah, yeah.
2: You know as, the
11: two boys we have.
2: Yeah, and as and as any mother I, would be.
11: I said to and marie I said, thank God, I think that's the ambulance. You could only see the outline of it. Yeah. We drove in and we threw the car, got on in your square, and we ran in and I met a man in the hallway. He was going the opposite direction to the front door. And I got down to the room, and my daughter, Archie, was holding <sighs> Elizabeth's hand. She got up, and she said, Mom, take over. And I saw the baby's head, crowning. Oh, my God. So there was a man called Shane. I didn't get the other man's name from Cantork. It was a good job the ambulance was in Kentark. They thought they were going to Cork. They delivered Sean Oakes in the bed at 4 o'clock. And it only stopped at 3, her second baby.
2: Was and was, she was, was she
11: was she quick on her first? No no, 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 She was a day and a half, so she well, she didn't panic.
2: Yeah, you see. And so then, Sean Oak was, was born in the in the in, house in uh, Whelan. In
11: Elizabeth's bed with her husband at one side, I at and and side.
2: at the other side, and and, and the paramedics. And
11: at the end, where she never saw a baby coming out before because she had three, but you were lying down from that. Happened. I know, I
2: know. And so the baby was born, and then there was a bit of a problem.
11: There was a small problem. Elizabeth didn't spot it. The card was around Sean's neck twice. Wow. So this man, called, I think it was Shane, done it. He whipped him twice.
2: I got whipped the, the cor- body
11: of the child in twice. And Liz said, He's not crying, Mom. And I said, Give him a chance. He was pure blue. And within seconds, he cried. Yeah. And, and, you know? and, and a perfect if, little if baby. He, if Daddy was on the road to Cork oh. with Liz and that, what happened? Sean it would be in transfer today. Oh no. I am a hundred percent convinced of that.
2: And now he so said he's a healthy, happy little a, baby. He,
11: no, he did go by ambulance to Cork at five. Yeah. And they had a small problem in the road, which is after that we heard it. Liz started hemorrhaging and they're for first, second ambulance, something about an injection that the two boys hadn't in their ambulance because okay. they didn't expect to be delivering something like that. And... Liz was laughing. She said, I arrived to Cork with two ambulances blaring, Sean O' lying on her chest, bare, nothing on him, and Daddy after him in the car. <laughs> and Elizabeth was in, in high, high spirits. Yeah. And uh, she, she texted us uh, yeah, through the phone at nine o'clock, Sean O' lying on the weighing scales Weighing in a 10 pound and calf. Oh, that's
2: a big baby. Yeah. That's a big baby.
11: Was, was All right, there. but your, your,
2: your point of your call my today of my is... My point call
11: is, they, could you or anyone out there put a price on Sean Oaks' life? No. For God's sake, yeah. hop on. These men are wanted. And could you imagine if there was a crash at the side of the road with somebody's life?
2: Yeah, you, you, know. you would want those ambulance personnel there. You
11: would there. want... All right, Mary, listen,
2: thank you for that and uh, good yeah, to talk and to well
11: you. All well done as well and we love our Sean Oag. Good, oh, good on you. It's going to be back again in a hundredfold.
2: Good on you. Yeah, God bless. Thanks, Take Patricia. care. Bye-bye, bye, bye-bye. Uh, Mary in Rosk.
0: This is the Court Today replay on C103.
2: We go to we where Joe Heffernan joins us Good afternoon to you Joe
12: Good afternoon Patricia, and good to hear your voice
2: And a happy new year to you It's, it's yeah. our first our, our first time back together yeah. uh, d- uh, doing the slots uh, in 2019 and while yeah. I was uh, off travelling so were you, you're just back from from the the, the Cayman Islands where your son uh, Kev, Ken is How is he getting on with his treatment? He's doing treatment? pretty
12: good um, right. uh, You know uh, under the circumstances I mean when you consider pancreatic cancer, you're talking serious stuff, but um, he's back at work, uh, on the chemo, uh, fortnight on, fortnight off, and um, as we speak, uh, himself and his wife Kayleigh, um, and I presume little Dylan, I'm not sure, um, are over in Tampa, um, and he'll be in the Moffat Cancer Centre in the next couple of hours, Okay. and uh, he'll have that big review, and so we're all fingers crossed
2: oh, please uh, today.
12: Okay, please uh, God,
2: it'll be good news. The
12: 22nd of January was always... Uh, sort of a big day in the diary for all of us, you know.
2: Okay, well we'll keep you all uh, and Ken in our thoughts and prayers and please God it will Thanks. be a little, a little bit of good news. Okay, yeah. now we are going to talk about addiction. It's funny, we've been talking about alcohol addiction with the Alcohol Action Ireland um, Silent Voices campaign. I don't know if that's a, a, that's across your radar if you're aware of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we have been talking about addiction on, on the programme. So we want to talk about um, um, addiction and it's not just... When we talk about addiction, normally it's drinking drugs, but yes. addiction can be a lot of other things, you're yes, saying. yeah.
12: traditionally, when, 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 when one uh, said the word addiction, um, uh, the mind automatically went to um, drinking drugs. Um, but uh, in, uh, we'd say that would be uh, as, uh, what would typically be known as substance abuse. But there's also behavioural addictions, uh, the biggest one, I suppose, being gambling. Um, in our modern age, especially, we've talked about it often on the programme. You know, especially with the online um, uh, facilities, if one could call it that, out there. Um, in fact, um, you know, I was reading uh, Declan Lynch's book, uh, Tony Ten. Uh, happily, now Tony is in recovery and is doing well. Um I would have been in touch with both of them and um you you just uh, you'd you'd say like how can this be happening? Um uh that a person wouldn't say, Hold on now, hold on, this is completely out of hand. But uh, I think it kinda gets to a sort of trance state. Um and uh I think one becomes detached entirely at times from reality, where the, the self doesn't matter. Um, what matters is the high. So that, like, um, we'll say the alcoholic experiences his buzz, his mood change um, in the pub and having... the. Drinks, which would probably euphemistically be called having a few pints. I don't know how often I would have felt that term. I just have a few pints, yeah. even though it would be many pints and maybe many shots to go with it. But um, the food addict will experience a mood change, binging. Um, the addictive gambler experiences the mood change, placing bets on the football. Um With with a lot of people who are into the gambling, um, the match doesn't really matter. Uh, Maybe wouldn't bother watching the match. Um, uh, I'm looking forward now to Arsenal and Man United on Friday night in the FA Cup. But um, with many a person then, if you didn't have a bet on it, even that was part of the ads for the thing. It matters more when you have money on it. I suppose it does too. But, um, you know, that's where the buzz comes with the, the the gambler. I wondered, you know, that a lot of people wouldn't often hear about or, 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 or that would come up in conversations um, would be, say, a shoplifting um, uh the word kleptomania was often used. Um where a person is the an, buzz th- and that is an addiction. It is an addiction. Yeah. Um a person could have five hundred euro in the purse or in the back pocket and would steal a thing worth one euro seventy five. Um it's uh, it's the, the thrill or the uh, the buzz of uh, of of doing it. I suppose the risk involved. Um is the is the sort of uh, where the buzz comes from? I mean, the the bottom line is that um, you know the endorphins in the brain are the the pleasure um, uh, chemicals uh, are aroused, and um, that's pleasurable. And what's pleasurable is attractive, and with some people that can be held. Very much in uh, in order, we we'll call it, um, at a reasonable level, um, and with other people, uh, the addictive personality, it just gets out of hand, and um, and 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 becomes, I, I suppose, nearly a definition of addiction would be that if you continue to use a substance or indulge in a behaviour which which adversely affects your life, but you keep on doing it um you know you're you're not in a good place i mean we've heard recently haven't we so much about sex addiction um now a, a lot of people kind of um roll an eye and and say ah, this is just um it's made up made up kind yeah. of like that, uh you know somebody is um uh acting out inappropriately and um uh then it's um it's an addiction but I think it has been proven, um, whether indulging in cruising the Red Light District or pornographic pornographic material, um, which now again is so readily available online.
11: Well, I think
2: that's the danger, isn't it, particularly for younger people uh, when they've got access to the internet. It's leading to all kinds of problems that maybe we wouldn't have seen so much in previous generations because they didn't have access to it.
12: Absolutely. And, I mean, you'd hear horror stories about young people, um, you know, browsing the web and um, innocently and uh, you get pop-ups and you get, um, uh, in other words, like um, kids can get into um, places where they didn't intend to go. And... Um, Uh, thereby can start um, uh, something which becomes uh, addictive and uh, uh, I I mean the other end of that that we hear about more and more now would be screen time and I think um, the term tech addiction is is beginning to And
2: I think it's something we're going to see a lot more of with the younger generation because you already have children who are just spending too much time and and we've heard from parents when they try to stop their children, you know, tell them to get off the tablet, tell them to get off the computer, whatever it is. The child can actually get very aggressive.
12: Yeah, and yeah.
2: It's, it's it certainly is leading to addictions.
12: It is, and and it's amazing, you know. Um, little Dylan, now that would be Ken and Kayleigh's little boy. He's two years and five months, but he absolutely loves to. Now he's not allowed all the time. I mean, things are under. Control that way. But I mean, uh, nothing suits him better than getting on that little almost unbreakable tablet with a sort of rubbery surround. And boy, can he tap it out, and, um, you know, he'd find Mickey Mouse and he'd find Gecko and he'd find this and that. And um, uh, it's very tempting for a parent, I would imagine,
2: to Um, leave the child all day.
12: And, you know, um uh Dylan o, for example, is pretty hard to keep up with um, he's he's like what was it the 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 bunny. Yeah. um i I mean the energy levels are huge it's very tempting to say give him the tablet or the um the smartphone or whatever yeah. and we have peace and uh. everything is grand. That's very, very tempting. Uh, to well, I,
2: I was in a, a similar household in Australia with a toddler just about a year older now than, than Dylan. He'd, he'd be um, three and a half. And the same again, they're very strict on, he's not allowed TV. They're very strict about the, the amount of time he is allowed to watch little DVDs or whatever. He would sit all day if, if, you left, if, if you left him and it is very tempting for parents and I can understand parents who are under pressure allowing their child to do it yes. but the danger is are we leading to generations that are going to be addicted as you say uh, tech addiction Absolutely. someone else has said uh, people that go out five or six nights a week to bingo would you, would you classify that as an addiction
12: well you see if a person now had a gambling addiction and if they went to hopefully no. Those who are on the right track, who would go to, we'll say GA, that would be Gamblers Anonymous. Now, Gamblers Anonymous would say don't do that, that it's a form of gambling. Now, um, there's also, um, you know, uh, don't be buying the lotter ticket. Scratch
2: cards, yeah. That's that's a recognised addiction. A
12: recognised addiction. You know, I mean, I'm off the booze now myself, um, with about something in the region of forty-five years. Well done, thank you. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a quarter less of Heineken away from being right back there. I'd be a little bit fundamentalist about it, in the sense that I mean. Um, <laughs> I'd wash it last like six times if it had had alcohol in it before I'd have a glass of water from it. Now, I know that's maybe a little bit OTT. Yeah, but, but it um, works for you. Uh, it does, and it's yeah. a very healthy fear. And yeah. for today, um, uh, thank God, um, you know, things are things are OK in in that line. But, uh, yeah, I think you can, uh, if you open that little door, any little bit at all. And if the endorphins kick in and if the kick is there, the buzz is there again, um, you know, maybe the next step is a little step higher up the the, the line. We'll say now with the bingo and the gambling. And, um, you know, maybe the one day in the year with the Grand National. If I think it's like an allergy, you know um I, I often think to myself that one person can eat a packet of peanuts they're grand and they're very tasty another person has one peanut
2: and, they're dead. and they can it die can kill them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 it's the same thing it's yeah. a, it's, it's, yeah. a, well, it's a, a similar comparison and uh, earlier when i was talking with the hidden voices that initiative uh By Alcohol Action Ireland, Um, a a mother contacted us whose children are living in a house with a parent, thankfully in recovery, but she was talking about the, the effect it's had on one of the children. But she was talking about the partner, the parent, having dual addiction of gambling and alcohol, which she says in her message to us, very common, but never spoken about. Would you come across a lot of dual addiction in your work? Oh,
12: absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because, and there's often a switch. There's often like, um, I, I'm off the booze, but, um, you know, I'm, I I like to have my few bob on the horses. And um, with an addictive personality, you know, where there is, and we'll talk about it next week, where there is a kind of an impulsive... Um, uh, <laughs> or ever in the person um uh a, one can can switch to the other i mean a, in the past now uh, thankfully it's all really, it's been totally recognized now but in the past um uh in in treatment centers and in treatment for alcoholism um there was a, a medication c- called uh, i think it was risperidone and um you know, a person went in with one addiction and came out with another. Now, that became very recognized. Another one was um, give up the booze. Oh, no problem. um, onto say, Valium. And uh, when a person uh, tried to kick the Valium, they found that they were back in that all addictive hole again, and there was the withdrawal and, and all of that. So... Um, I remember talking with a doc in Cork um, many, many years ago. I don't know if he's still around. Um, it was to do with Albert House, uh, Dr. Carl, Dr. French O'Call, And um, uh, he he was a bit ahead of his time, I think. And he used to talk about um, uh, polyaddiction. And, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think in a way, um, uh, addictive people, they're either zero or ten. There's no five. So that like the couple of points that most people can have and go home uh is a non runner for the alcoholic um you know the the five euro each way in the grand national and leave it there uh is fine for most people, but not for the gambling addict uh, addict and um and et cetera so yeah the, I think there's a kind of a personality mm. which is um you know uh predisposes one to, to getting into addiction.
2: Yeah, and as I say, we are going to talk more about that uh, next yes. week. And I know when I mentioned Alcohol Action Ireland uh, were coming on the programme, uh, somebody made contact with us from Al-Anon. Oh, uh, yeah. and talking about the great work of Al-Anon. And, yeah. and, I mean, you would sing the praises of Alanon. Oh,
12: absolutely. And I love the slogan, you can see what the drinking is doing to the other person, but can you see what it's doing to you? And sometimes if I suggested to a person that I was talking with about Alanon, they'd say, but, but, well, why should I be going to a meeting? I mean, I'm not the one doing the drinking. But you see, it's the effect that the drinkers... Um, uh, drinking is uh, the effect it's having on the person and you have core dependence and um uh, a lot of misery um and a lot of unhappiness going with that so oh yeah i'd be i'd be a big fan of Al-Anon.
2: Okay, and actually, I've just done a quick Google search because when you mentioned uh, Doctor. French O'Carroll, I was thinking, God, why does that name uh, ring a bell? Um, and of course, he—he was—he um, was a TD at one stage as well. He was with, but yeah, he was um, a pioneer in the field of addiction care, and he established an outpatient centre at Arbor House uh, in Cork. Right, uh, he passed away in two thousand and seven. Ah, oh, I didn't know away, that. And yeah, may he yeah, rest yeah. in peace. Yeah, but yeah. He, he did. He did yeah, he wonderful work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he also helped establish a residential program for young adult heroin addicts in convera in a Thai, and published a book on addiction in nineteen
12: ninety-five. And that would be with Sister Considine. the one, Yeah, the wonderful yeah, Sister Considine. Yeah. And we also have. Um, the local Vera, you could call it pretty local, in um, brewery. Yeah, just down beyond. Charleston. Doing
2: amazing work for people in addiction.
12: Absolutely amazing. Okay,
2: we leave it there. Listen, uh, Joe, in your you Ken whole family in our know, thoughts and prayers for this afternoon, uh, and hopefully good news coming winging, uh, winging its way from Tampa. Uh, Look after yourself and we'll chat to you next week. Thank you. All right. God bless. Bye bye. Joe Heffernan 029 uh, 76617. And thank you to somebody who, Christy says, Patricia, just to let people know, two scam calls regarding my phone line in the past hour. I answered one, hung up on the other. They look like a local call without the area code. They are a five figure number. Be careful, please. A number of those calls doing the round and John Paul tells me traffic is very heavy again. This lunchtime in Bandon town, we had some complaints about that earlier on this morning, but heavy again, particularly around the Glassland Road and North Main Street. Uh, patience is what is needed in abandon. And as we said earlier, the other way is to try and avoid if at all possible. But if you have to go anywhere near abandon, prepare for uh, delays while the flood works are underway, that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon, and we are back with you uh, tomorrow morning at uh, ten o'clock. And I remind you when we're off air, you can always contact the program. You can email Patricia at c103 IE until tomorrow at 10.
0: Cork today.
3: With Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie.
0: C103. Connect with C103 on Twitter. Find all the latest news and sport and stay in touch with what's happening across Cork. Search for our Twitter handle at C103Cork.